Ken Review, Print Speaking to the Blind, celebrating 40 years of audio newspaper production. Welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times podcast, recorded at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre by our amazing volunteers. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter or Instagram using at QNReview, that is at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. You can also contact us directly by emailing information at qnreview.com. That is I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M. Or by calling 0141 772 That's 0141 772 This is from the Glasgow Times on Thursday, 8th February, 2024. From the Lifestyle section. Glasgow Teen makes it two wins in a row at top music competition. By Anne Fotheringham. A Glasgow teenager has triumphed for the second year in a row at a prestigious music competition. Caleb Reid will now represent the city at the Scottish Young Musicians of the Year final in May. The 17-year-old flautist, who is a sixth-year pupil at Hill Park Secondary, was awarded first place in the solo performer category for his rendition of Gordelli's Flute Concerto. He also won the Glasgow Heat in 2023. Runners-up were... 17-year-old pianist T.J. Watson, a S6 pupil at Castle Milk High, who played Mozart's Fantasia, and 11-year-old French horn player Magnus Campbell, a P7 pupil at Hillhead Primary, who performed the first movement of Mozart's Horn Concerto No. 3. Magnus also won Glasgow's primary schools competition. Caleb said... I am proud and delighted to have won Glasgow's final for Scottish young musicians for the second year running. Last year's national final gave me an amazing opportunity to perform alongside Scotland's most talented young musicians. And I'm excited to return to the Royal Conservatoire stage to demonstrate how my musical skill has grown over the past year. The standard of everyone playing today was wonderful. It was a very tight competition with such a varied programme, featuring an incredible range of instrumental talent. The future of music in Glasgow is in safe hands, with all the young people involved today illuminating the city's musical future. Almost 70 competitors, aged 7 to 17, from 46 schools across the city, took part in the Glasgow final. Scottish Young Musicians, which has become the national music competition in schools, aims to give young people an unforgettable experience and the chance to compete at the highest level. The national final will take place at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland on May 26th. That article was by Anne Fotheringham. This is from the Glasgow Times on Thursday, 8th February 2024 from the Lifestyle section. New must-see documentary on homelessness filmed in Glasgow 
by Marisa McWhorter. A must-see new film on homelessness by a notable director shines a light on the incredible work of a Glasgow initiative. The new documentary, Someone's Daughter, Someone's Son, is the latest project from award-winning filmmaker Lorna Tucker. Before making her name in the film industry with Westwood punk icon activist and AMA, Lorna became homeless at just 14 years old and spent two years living on the streets of London. In her deeply personal investigation into the UK's homelessness crisis, Lorna turns her lens on programmes set up in Glasgow, surprisingly finding the foundations of a solution in the city. She speaks with Jamie at his flat in Glasgow, provided to him by the groundbreaking Housing First programme, delivered by Turning Point Scotland, also known as the Rapid Rehousing Transition Programme, or RRTP. Jamie is one of six children born to a father who struggled with alcoholism and a mother who suffered from mental health issues. He became addicted to heroin as a teenager and veered in and out of homelessness before he was provided with a flat and mental health support by Housing First. Lorna said, Jamie is such an incredible person. The minute I met him, I knew that he would be able to help an audience no matter what their background, is to understand the complexities behind addiction and homelessness. It's not just as simple as giving people flats or putting them in hostels. Much greater care is needed to help rehabilitate people, particularly the longer they are on the streets. This is why we're releasing a campaign about preventative measures, but for those that have already slipped through the cracks, Housing First makes the biggest difference. With the support of Housing First, Jamie secures a place at Glasgow University to study nuclear, chemistry and physics. He also gives talks on mental health and DJs. Lorna said, Jamie's story shows how, with the right support, how far you can go and he's doing amazing things now. He's flourishing. Lorna says she is completely blown away that there were models like Housing First and that Scotland has already started rolling it out, adopting it and having great successes with it. She added, I selfishly wanted to go and see and speak to people who had been put in Housing First accommodation. I spoke to a lot more people than were in the film, but I wanted to simplify it and have one character that can help you learn and bust the myths around homelessness. She describes the process of making the film as a personal journey, taking her knowledge of homelessness and using it to tell a raw and humanising story. She added... If anyone were to have asked me or any of my friends who have lived experience, what would be the things that would help eradicate homelessness? It's clear things that we all felt were within the film itself. People will always fall on the streets and people will always fall through cracks. But the less time they spend on the streets, the less complex their needs are and the less help they're going to need. It costs less and fewer people go to prison. 
This is the first time I've worn my heart on my sleeve and I'm in a film. It's quite frightening and quite scary, but I stand by the reasons I made it. I hope it does start the conversation and empowers people. Someone's Daughter, Someone's Son is showing at Glasgow Film Theatre on February 9th. To find out more, go online. That article was by Marisa McHorter. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 12th of February. Addiction service workers reveal harrowing reality inside the cash-strapped NHS. An exclusive article written by Marissa McWhirter. Nurses working in the city's alcohol and drug recovery service have blown the whistle on conditions as they grapple with poor mental health and overwhelming caseloads. Two addiction service workers have come forward to share the harrowing reality of their jobs in the hopes of sounding the alarm about staff shortages and lack of funding. We are protecting their identities. One newly qualified addictions nurse said a manageable caseload will be around 30 patients, but they were given a caseload of 50 due to the lack of staffing. They claimed that job pressures caused stress that made them lose sleep and suffer from anxiety, which required a propranolol prescription from their GP. The nurse said, I've got quite a chaotic caseload. A lot of these people are ranked as red, which means they're high priority and have a lot of complex needs. The status of a patient can change overnight, but the yo-yoing causes more stress. They added, I worry at night. I worry about it all the time. I'm just like, what am I going to do tomorrow? What's happened to these people? I've not managed to phone this one because that one is in crisis, and I do understand that it's a pressurised job, but it's so hard I've started taking anxiety attacks. When your caseload is so high and your name is against 50 people, you're left responsible for making sure these people don't overdose. They added, I really wanted to work in addictions, and I still do, but I didn't realise how much of an impact it would have on my mental well-being. The pressure is just insane. I want to leave, but I feel like these people need me. They claim that when they wanted to take annual leave, they didn't know who to ask. I was just getting passed back and forward because no one had the answer or all the other team leaders were off. Eventually, it did get seen to, but it's stressful to get simple things done. There's so many hoops you've got to jump through. They added, I feel like people don't want to take leave because they're so worried about what's happening when they're off. The nurse claims when they returned from having four days off, they were confronted with 59 important emails. One patient was missing, one was in prison, and one was in crisis. A senior addictions nurse reported having a similar experience at work. They said, The last few years we've been working under tremendous pressure. The workload has more than doubled, and we have half the staff we used to have. They said the overwhelming caseload meant that there was not enough time to follow up with patients correctly or to follow the standard operating procedures for their area. The senior nurse added, It's had a massive impact on my mental health. It's taking its toll and my social life is non-existent. I get home and I'm too tired to do anything, so it's having a massive impact on my family life and my social life. With the cost of living crisis, I'm struggling to even get by and that's further affecting my mental health. We're working under so much pressure and doing such a good job and we're not getting the reward for it. 
The nurses, who are represented by Unison, have chosen to speak out amid fear that further budget cuts to the Greater Glasgow Health Board are looming. Margaret McCarthy said, I speak to members daily who are on the brink of leaving work and not coming back, with many unable to take their full annual leave allowance due to workload pressures. The Unison, NHS, Greater Glasgow and Clyde Assistant Branch Secretary and the Health and Social Care Partnership convener added, It's a credit to NHS staff that they remain committed to their profession and patients, when many are at breaking point themselves. I also regularly hear from staff that they are unable to provide the safe standard of service required. While NHS staff enter their professions knowing that there's always a degree of risk, management now treats high risk as a normalised part of the job. Working at a routinely unsafe level of risk is bad for staff and bad for patients, causing high levels of workplace-related stress, poor mental health and undermining patient care across all affected services. A spokesperson for the Health and Social Care Partnership said, All staff within the Alcohol and Drug Recovery Service are encouraged and supported to use annual leave. All staff can access leave and nobody within our services has been refused leave. NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde implements the rostering policy which supports staff to have adequate rest time from roles. If individual staff members have any issues with utilising their leave, they should discuss it with their line manager. If staff require support with well-being, they can make use of several supports provided by parent organisations, such as occupational health. NHS Greater Glasgow and Clyde has been allocated a total of £28 million to support alcohol and drug recovery services, and the Health and Social Care Partnership has been allocated £6 million in addition to the board's baseline funding. A spokesperson for the Scottish Government said... We've made £12 million available to support workforce well-being, which is at the heart of our workforce development efforts. Our recently published Drug and Alcohol Workforce Action Plan set out key actions to address the challenges faced by alcohol and drug services staff. An exclusive article written by Marissa McWhirter. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 12th of February. Glasgow City Council urged to impose an immediate pause on care charges increases. An exclusive article written by Amanda Keenan. Campaigners and families are calling on council chiefs to impose an immediate pause to increase charges for lifeline social care services. It comes as we reveal that many vulnerable adults in Glasgow faced with added costs for the provision of care have not been put through additional financial reviews prior to the hike. Only 1,591 individual cases were reassessed across the whole of the city last year, despite a Freedom of Information request revealing that 8,652 adults are subject to non-residential care charges. Most of those who rely on social care are disabled with complex medical needs and say the increases imposed by Glasgow's Health and Social Care Partnership are eating up around three quarters of their social security benefits during a cost-of-living crisis. There are now calls for an immediate halt to the charges amid claims they have been rolled out despite a COSLA guideline which says that regardless of the mechanism to calculate the charge, the amount that a person pays towards their social care support should be determined by completing a financial assessment to determine available income. 
They also ask councils to make sure that personal, social and economic circumstances of individuals are given due regard in determining whether charges should apply and the level of charges to prevent financial hardship. Campaigners and relatives of those impacted are calling for a new strategy around social care provision, along with assurances that there won't be further increases at the start of the new financial year in April, after a hike was imposed then in 2023. A source who works alongside people using the services says the move is having a detrimental impact on the mental and physical health of those who attend day centres. He said it's appalling that this increase came without proper consultation with providers or families that it affects. This is hitting people who, for a variety of reasons, find it difficult to work or protect their rights. It appears that the local authority took a decision and thought there would be little or no fuss, but people are angry and scared. Scared that they might lose these vital services they rely heavily on if they can't find more money to pay for them. The source told the Glasgow Times they believe the local authority should have taken a different approach and consulted third sector parties before rolling them out. He added, Despite guidance from COSLA, I believe that Glasgow City Council carried out or offered an inadequate number of financial reviews before applying these increases. This is a decision which has left many people unable to support themselves and is taking a toll on their mental and physical health. They might be just recommendations from COSLA, but they are there for a reason. They exist so that councils think long and hard when making these types of decisions. Glasgow's own social care charging policy states that people should face no more than a 50% charge if a financial assessment form has not been submitted. Council bosses say, however, that COSLA guidance doesn't state that they need to carry out financial assessment every time there is a change to charges. They also claim that despite offering an annual financial review to those impacted by social care charges, many are unwilling to take part, despite the reviews being able to help maximise income by making sure everyone is receiving the full range of benefits they're entitled to. It's understood that around 6,000 people across the city benefit from the council-run telecare service, which has a weekly charge of pound sixty-eight. Those who use this service are unlikely to have their charges changed by a financial assessment because they are so low. However, the council says that they are welcome to come forward for a review at any point if they feel it is beneficial. Carer Denise Gilmore is calling for an immediate stop to the increases and says she's yet to receive any reasonable justification for the rise in social care costs. Denise's son, Billy, who's 21, was starved of oxygen at birth, leaving him deaf and suffering from severe epilepsy. He goes to Fortune Works service in Drumchapel five days a week and has gone from paying £121 to £207 each month to attend. The 44-year-old said, I'd like to know why this was all rolled out without proper affordability checks. There should have been an invitation for a review instead of a letter stating that the charges were being implemented. The onus shouldn't be on the families, but the council, to make sure this wouldn't leave people on the breadline. To increase what you're asking someone to pay without proper checks to see if they can afford it just seems wrong. The reality is that the cost to attend a day centre for five days each week has gone through the roof. The expense is met by Billy's universal credit and personal independence payment, 
So when you take into consideration bills, clothing and food, there's really not much left to live on. Peter McMahon says he's also struggling after being asked to pay £74 weekly for his social care package. The 59-year-old from the east end of Glasgow is visually impaired with learning difficulties and believes the charges are pushing the most vulnerable into poverty. He added, By the time I pay for my electricity, food and other essentials, my money is almost all gone. There needs to be an urgent review of non-residential social care charges. People just can't be expected to go on like this. Richard Baker, Head of External Affairs and Campaigns at charity Enable, previously told the Glasgow Times that the sector has reached crisis point. He said, We're seeing more and more people asking us for advice and support. These are society's most vulnerable and the stress they're under because of the increases in charges and the threat of more is quite frankly unacceptable. We need assurances that what people are paying won't continue to rise. Labour councillor Robert Mooney, who himself is registered blind, says he is also regularly being contacted by worried constituents seeking guidance. He added, It's time their needs were put at the top of the Health and Social Care Partnerships agenda. A spokeswoman for Glasgow's Health and Social Care Partnership said, All service users are financially assessed before any charge is made. If it's a chargeable service they receive, a charge will be made. People are offered the opportunity to have a reassessment at any time and service users are reminded of this on an annual basis. An exclusive article written by Amanda Keenan. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 12th of February. Huge revelation gives fresh hopes to Fornethy House survivors. An exclusive front-page article written by Marissa McWhirter. Survivors of a council-run residential school have been given fresh hope of continuing their fight for recognition following a dramatic conference. As children, hundreds of women were sent by the local authority to Fonethy House in Perthink and Ross, where they allegedly suffered abuses, including being force-fed, beaten, emotionally abused and sexually assaulted. On Sunday night, dozens of women attended the second Fornethy Survivors Conference at the Renfield Centre to hear from key speakers about ongoing progress on their case. Records of Fornethy House's official status as a residential school were revealed by Dr Diane McCaddy, sending a wave of shock through the conference room. The specialist researcher said, From the very beginning, it was never a respite home. It was never a holiday home. It was always a school, under the Education Committee, under Glasgow Corporation. Glasgow City Council now have direct responsibility for everything that happened there. The local authority was Glasgow Corporation until 1975, when it became Strathclyde Regional Council. Glasgow City Council was created in 1996. A spokesperson for Glasgow City Council previously told the Glasgow Times that information available to the authority showed that Fonethy House was originally used as a place to send girls to convalesce in the country after an illness. They claimed that as the years went on, the purpose was moved from a place to heal to a place that offered short breaks in the country to girls in schools run by the authority. They added, we're doing everything we can and understand how upsetting this situation must be. 
Council officers have been helping police with their inquiries and our claims department continues to deal with claims. Further records revealed by Dr McCaddy reveal that around 20,000 girls went through the residential school system over the 30 years that it was open, between the 1960s and the 1990s. Most of the girls were from deprived backgrounds. Parents were encouraged to send their children to the school and encouraged not to visit unless there was a specific visiting day scheduled. The children were classified as mentally deficient in some reports. Marion Reed, founder of the Fornethy House Survivors Group, said, I'm angry. Angry. A lot of what was revealed we knew, but seeing it in black and white now, I'm speechless because it's just so bad. She emphasised a sense of urgency in concluding their battle with the council. She added, This better be sorted out as soon as possible, because I'm 66. We lost a girl whose funeral was on Thursday. How long are they going to keep this going? All the evidence is there. It's time something was done about it. Other speakers included solicitor Megan Lafferty and Eleanor Deeming-Johnston of the Scottish Human Rights Commission. David Scott, who has been investigating the case alongside his wife, researcher Leslie Scott, said he hoped the revelations discovered in the archives at the Mitchell Library with Dr McCaddy would help the Fornethy survivors' case. He said... The first conference was about establishing what happened. The women told their stories and we'd started our research, but it was in the early stages. For the women to tell their stories, it was enormously difficult and they were hugely brave. Now we're moving forward. We've been in the archives for six months and it wasn't a respite centre. It wasn't a holiday centre. It was a residential school. It was governed by all the legislation governing schools and there is no excuse for what happened there or for the lack of oversight. That is the starting point from which we have to now move forward. What we're now looking for is proper and realistic engagement from the authorities to give the women the answers they need and the help that they deserve. Glasgow City Council and the Scottish Government were contacted for comment. An exclusive front-page article written by Marissa McWhirter. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 12th of February. Glasgow man tells how a sore throat turned out to be cancer. An exclusive article written by Amanda Keenan. A Glasgow man was told how he's lucky to be alive after a sore throat turned out to be an aggressive form of cancer. Mark McDowell was initially treated by his GP with antibiotics, but when they didn't work, he was sent for further tests. A tonsillectomy at the Royal Alexandra Hospital in Paisley discovered cancer in his left tonsil, caused by human papillomavirus. Doctors initially told Mark that he had a good chance of recovery until a routine PET scan discovered the cancer had spread to his liver and was now stage 4. Medics told the stunned 46-year-old he only had a 1 in 5 chance of pulling through. Mark told the Glasgow Times, I'd been living a healthy life, so my chances of recovery from tonsil cancer were good. That was until the scan showed things weren't as positive as we first thought. The specialist face fell when they revealed that the cancer had spread to my liver and I was told that my chances of survival were now around 20%. Mark, who lives in the west end of the city, was quickly referred to specialists in London and at the Beetson West of Scotland Cancer Centre. 
He was treated with a complex combination of chemotherapy, radiotherapy and keyhole surgery and was in the Beetson for eight weeks, supported by a brilliant team of specialists. Thanks to their care, in April, Mark plans to celebrate his fifth year cancer-free. The head of IT architecture at Scottish Power added, I feel lucky to be alive as I've seen so many people lose their lives to this dreadful disease. Family, friends and colleagues. Cancer can affect anyone, with nearly one in two people in the UK now diagnosed with it during their lifetime. It's a highly complex disease and in the past it was often a death sentence. That's why fundraising for life-saving research is so important. The medical advances in radiotherapy, PET and keyhole surgery saved my life, but they're things you don't think about until you need them. Mark's employer is now determined to help save more lives and has reached a special £40 million fundraising milestone for its long-standing charity partner, Cancer Research UK. The charity's work on the prevention, diagnosis and treatment of cancer has helped save millions of lives. Dr Claire Patterson is a clinical oncologist and a radiotherapy researcher, partly funded by Cancer Research UK. In her role at the Beetson West of Scotland Cancer Centre, she is working on ways to improve radiotherapy for patients with head and neck cancer, like Mark's. She said, we can target cancer far more precisely now, which makes treatment more effective and kinder for patients than it used to be decades ago. We hope that we can continue to make further improvements with more research. Mark's story shows how painstaking research conducted over many years and advances in treatment can save lives. Cancer Research UK can only support large-scale research programmes with generous donations and Scottish Power has raised a huge amount of money to support the charity's vital mission. Ellie Cook, a marketing graduate at Scottish Power, is also getting a team together for Cancer Research UK's Race for Life fundraising event at Glasgow Green in May. She added, Fundraising hits differently when it's so close to home, and that's why I'm getting a 10k team together for Race for Life and challenging myself to train for it. This is something that affects us all. We're raising money for life-saving cancer research, so family, friends and colleagues are all so happy to sponsor us. Andrew Ward, the CEO of Scottish Power's customer business, added, Knowing the difference our partnership has made since it first began and how it's contributed to creating a world where people can live longer, better lives, free from the fear of cancer, personally means so much to me. Both Mark and Ellie really bring the impact of the partnership alive through their own experiences and really show just how vital the funds being raised are. An exclusive article written by Amanda Keenan. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 12th of February. Glasgow robber in armed raid snared by a Gumtree advert. An article written by Grant McCabe. A Glasgow robber who was part of an armed raid on a woman's home helped get himself caught after the distinctive getaway vehicle was sold on Gumtree. Kevin Palmer, who's 39, was one of a five-strong gang that targeted a 61-year-old's property in Cross House near Kilmarnock on January the 29th, 2020. The mob eventually fled empty-handed after the brave woman brandished a bread knife in a bid to get them out. 
Mr Palmer of the city's Pollock is now behind bars after he pleaded guilty to a charge of assault and attempted robbery. Fellow raider John Paul Thompson, who's 32 and from Irvine, was also remanded after he admitted to the same crime. They will be sentenced at a later date. The woman was at home alone on the evening of the robbery with her husband out at work. She was in bed watching television when her home security system alerted her that someone was outside. As she went to look, one of the gang was already in the property and he demanded, Give us the money. Another of the mob wielded a knife before the victim was grabbed downstairs. Prosecutor Neil McCulloch told the High Court in Glasgow, Kevin Palmer approached her and attempted to calm the woman before making his way into the living room. One of the gang emptied her handbag looking for cash. The gang also demanded keys for a safe. Mr McCulloch said when she refused, two of the men began to hack at the living room fireplace with axes. This led the woman to conclude that they were aware that she and her husband had had a safe installed in the wall behind the fireplace. The woman struggled with the robber who held the blade at her. Despite then being dragged around the room, the victim grabbed a knife herself and held it at the man. She then escaped barefooted out of the smashed patio door and raced to a neighbour for help. The court heard that CCTV captured the gang fleeing the scene in a black Audi A5 with black alloy wheels and silver windows. Police began the hunt to catch the gang and Mr Palmer was identified as a possible suspect. He was found to be the owner of the getaway car. Mr McCulloch said the vehicle was sold online in early February 2020 by Mr Palmer's brother. Photographs of the Audi A5 attached to the listing showed it to match the appearance of the car seen on the CCTV footage. It emerged that Mr Palmer also told a witness weeks after the raid, See that thing that happened the other day. If they go through that house, they will find my DNA on the fireplace because I burst my hand. The court heard forensic evidence also helped snare Mr Thompson. He initially denied any involvement or even knowing Mr Palmer. Sentencing was deferred for reports. An article written by Grant McCabe. Glasgow Times on Monday the 12th of February. Lifestyle. Glasgow landmarks to glow red for Chinese New Year. An article written by Esther Tarnay. Several Glasgow landmarks have been lit up in red to mark Chinese New Year. Glasgow University's South Building, the Clyde Arc, Stockingfield Bridge, the Falkirk Wheel and the Kelpies are all glowing in celebration. The annual festival signalling the event will take place in George Square and the City Chambers on Sunday, February the 18th, between noon and one o'clock. The show will include performances of Dragon and Lion Dancers, a show by the Neilston and District Pipe Band and a colourful parade. This will be followed by a traditional lion dance and eye-dotting ceremony, which will open proceedings leading into the City Chambers for a ticketed event. It's organised by Andy Chung, Chair of Chinese Cultural and Welfare Society Scotland and supported by Glasgow City Council. He said, I'd like to thank the Council, the University of Glasgow and the Scottish Canals for their support in the lighting up in red of the landmarks. Red is a traditional colour for the festival as it signifies good fortune, luck, vitality, celebration and prosperity. 
Also known as the Spring Festival, the celebration marks the start of the Year of the Dragon, which holds a significant place within Chinese culture and symbolizes power, nobility, honor, luck, and success. The holiday started on Saturday and lasts for 15 days. Glasgow's Lord Provost Jacqueline McLaren said, "It's always great fun to celebrate Chinese New Year with our Chinese citizens." The annual performance in George Square is always a riot of colour and features dragons dancing and music. In this Year of the Dragon, I'm thrilled to welcome everyone to George Square at noon on Sunday, the 18th of February. It's an exciting event. Glasgow is delighted to take this opportunity to wish Chinese people everywhere a happy New Year. Scottish Canals Chief Operating Officer Richard Miller said. Scottish Canals is delighted to illuminate our iconic landmarks in honour of Chinese New Year, 2024. This vibrant festival is a time for families and communities to come together, and we're privileged to play a part in bringing that spirit to life. It's our hope that these illuminations will be a beacon of joy and festivity as we welcome the Year of the Dragon. An article written by Esther Tarnay. Glasgow Times on Monday, the twelfth of February. Lifestyle. Glasgow icon Lulu has announced her retirement from touring. An article written by Lucy Garcia. Glasgow pop icon Lulu has announced her retirement from touring after six decades in the spotlight. The singer, who was brought up as Marie Laurie in Deniston, will perform her final show sixty years after her debut single "Shout" was released in 1964, when she was a teenager. She has a small tour booked in for April, which will see her play dates in Glenrothes, Aberdeen, and in Glasgow before heading south of the border. After dates in Gateshead, Southampton, and Birmingham, the Champagne for Lulu tour will end with a show in the London Palladium on April the seventeenth, which the star has said will be her last ever. Speaking on a podcast, Lulu revealed her retirement plan. She said, "I'm announcing it for the first time now. This is actually my farewell tour with family and friends." Last year, I did a tour that was kind of grueling. It was successful. It went well. But you need an army to be a success in your career these days, and I felt unsupported. But then I turned seventy-five, and I thought, you know what? I want to carry on working, but I want to do it in a different way. The singer won Eurovision for the UK in nineteen sixty-nine with her single "Boom Bang a Bang." She also sang the theme to the 1974 James Bond film *The Man with a Golden Gun*. She then enjoyed a revival in the 1990s when she featured on *Take That's Number One Hit*, *Relight My Fire*. Speaking about her remaining tour dates, Lulu said, "I'm not going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do, but of course I'll have to do *Boom Bang a Bang*. The audience want to do it by themselves anyway. You can't not give people what they want and more." If you've ever seen me on tour, just let me say you won't have seen me like this. Lulu was born Marie Macdonald McLaughlin Laurie and is also known by her full name, Lulu Kennedy Cairns. In January 2023, she was revealed to be piece of cake in the hit ITV show The Masked Singer. In 2021, Lulu was given a CBE in the Queen's Birthday Honours List for services to music, entertainment. And charity. An article written by Lucy Garcia, Glasgow Times, 
On Monday, the 12th of February. Opinion. The jury's out on minimum unit pricing for alcohol. A column written by Mike Daly. Alcohol prices in Scotland are set to increase by 30% from September the 30th this year as the minimum unit price rises from 50 pence to 65 pence. The Scottish Government's proposed hike was announced by Deputy First Minister Shona Robeson last Thursday. If approved, the policy would mean that the lowest charge for a bottle of wine would rise from £4.69 to £6.09, a can of lager from £1 to £1.30, a bottle of whisky from £14 to £18.20 and a bottle of vodka from £13.13 to £17.06. Last September, the Scottish Government issued a public consultation on its minimum unit pricing, to which 59% of respondents were against any further increase. Few people in Scotland have enjoyed a 30% increase in their wages or income over the last five years. Indeed, the last couple of years have seen the cost of living spiral out of control, with increased prices for food, energy, mortgages and rent. In that harsh economic context, what's the justification for putting the minimum cost of alcohol up by 30%? The Scottish Minister's impact assessment on the price rise says, Evidence shows that as alcohol becomes more affordable, drinking and alcohol-related harm increases, and that one of the best ways to reduce the amount of alcohol drunk by people in any country is by making alcohol less affordable. The minimum unit price was first introduced in 2018, so alcohol hasn't become more affordable. Has the policy worked? According to a study published by academics at Glasgow Caledonian University in the Drug and Alcohol Review Journal, there's little evidence it's had any impact at all on marginalised groups. The authors conclude, minimum unit price is likely to have little beneficial effect on people experiencing homelessness without the provision of support to address their alcohol use and complex needs. The Scottish ministers concede evidential difficulties with minimum unit pricing. On reaching a conclusion, ministers have considered the available evidence, including the limitations of available evidence, and concluded that on balance the evidence suggests that minimum unit pricing has been an effective policy intervention that achieved its aims. Despite evidential problems, the Scottish Government wants to press on with a 30% price hike. It said... While deaths increased after implementations of the minimum unit pricing, the Public Health Scotland evaluation concluded that alcohol-specific deaths were lower than would have been seen if minimum unit pricing was not in effect. Public Health Scotland's position has been criticised by some public health academics as being questionable conjecture. There remains no conclusive evidence that alcohol-specific deaths in Scotland are lower because of minimum unit pricing. The actual data we have paints a different picture. The number of deaths from alcohol-specific causes rose in Scotland in 2022 by 2%, according to figures published by the National Records of Scotland. In total, 1,276 deaths were attributed to alcohol-specific causes in 2022, 31 more than in 2021, and the highest number since 2008. Public Health Scotland's position relies on a study in The Lancet that drew its conclusions by postulating comparisons between Scotland and England. 
Other academics have questioned the efficacy and reliability of such comparisons, because we're not comparing like with like. Assumptions have been made, and there is no causal proof. Experts ask that if minimum unit pricing really works, why don't we see an overall reduction in alcohol-related deaths in Scotland? Our mortality levels are about the same as in 2010, so why a 30% increase in minimum unit pricing? A column written by Mike Daly. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 12th of February. Plans to reshape Glasgow's transport system given the go-ahead. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Plans for new bus priority routes and park and ride hubs in Glasgow have been given the go-ahead. A reshaped transport network designed to tackle carbon emissions and inequalities can now be prepared for delivery after a key part of the city's transport strategy was approved. The spatial delivery framework, part of the Glasgow Transport Strategy, has been approved by the Council's City Administration Committee. This plan will help to identify the best use of spaces within Glasgow, like bus priority corridors, new park and ride stations and mobility hubs, where different forms of transport can link together. Ensuring plans for the Clyde Metro are fully aligned with other transport initiatives in Glasgow will also be guided by the framework. It's already helped to identify 16 potential bus priority corridors throughout the city, as well as additional routes for the bus network. Just some of the routes being considered include orbital routes in Glasgow's East End, a route between Glasgow South, Paisley and Glasgow Airport, and an orbital route between Partick and Springburn. As well as the nine park-and-ride stations already in the city, the plans highlighted seven further possible areas close to the city boundary that could be suitable. Areas for a possible mobility hub, where multiple modes of transport could link together, have also been mapped out. Angus Miller, city convener for Transport, said... At the core of our plans is a recognition that we must reduce how much we rely on private vehicles for transport. There are far more sustainable and equitable modes of transport than the car, and we must make space for alternative, more efficient ways of getting about in Glasgow. In a city where almost half the households do not have access to a car, there is a basic fairness in reshaping our transport network in support of the other types of transport that people rely on. It's also essential we do everything we can to limit the transport-related carbon emissions that contribute to climate change. These are the kind of interventions that makes the bus a more attractive option and encourages drivers to leave their vehicles behind because the network supports integrated travel choices. All projects highlighted will be subject to detailed planning and work to secure funding. Work is ongoing with the Council's transport partners on how the aims of the Glasgow Transport Strategy can be delivered. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 12th of February. Potholes demonstration to take place to highlight road conditions. An exclusive article written by Nicole Mitchell. People will take part in a demonstration later this month to call for action on potholes in Glasgow. The Potholes Make Glasgow Enough is Enough protest will take place on February the 24th outside the city chambers. Jamie Canavan is one of the organisers of the event and is also the founder of the Facebook group Potholes Make Glasgow.
He says he's hoping the demonstration will put pressure on Glasgow City Council to tackle the problem and stop neglecting our crumbling road network. The 32-year-old said, Things are pretty bad. There just doesn't seem to be any sort of progress being made. The work they're doing is just not working. They're wasting money. It's just getting worse and worse because the repair jobs they're doing just aren't adequate. He continued, Everybody is out working hard to have a car and keep a car on the road. And to be quite honest, the response from the council is shocking. They blame the winter all the time rather than take it on the head and blame themselves for the actual repair. So far, more than 70 people have said that they will be attending the demonstration at the end of the month. Jamie explained, I hope the council will see we're not putting up with it. We're actually making a stand to get them to do something and make safer roads in Glasgow. Jamie, who's from Shettleston, created the Facebook group Potholes Make Glasgow in 2021 after he hit a pothole in Renfrewshire and failed to claim compensation. The group has now got more than 12,400 members who discuss pothole-related issues and share pictures of potholes across the city. Jamie says he's seen an increase in the number of people on the group reporting that their car has been damaged as a result of potholes. The HGV driver added, I'm seeing a lot more burst tyres on people of Glasgow's vehicles than I'm seeing the council filling holes. However, a spokesperson for the council said there had not been the same number of pothole reports this winter as in the previous year. They said potholes can appear suddenly at any time and are caused by environmental factors such as volume and weight of traffic, ice and rain. Winter is a very damaging time for road surfaces and last January saw an exceptional rise in reports following extended periods of frost and then rain. So far, we're not experiencing the same level of pothole reports this winter. To address the particularly severe winter last year, the carriageway maintenance budget was increased to £12 million for this financial year to improve road conditions throughout the city, and we expect to have completed around 175 road resurfacing projects by March this year. Our responsibility is to ensure that we have in place an appropriate system of road safety inspections and repairs that tackles the most dangerous faults as a matter of priority. We always seek to undertake first-time permanent repairs where possible, and we currently have four crews dedicated to repairing potholes on a daily basis. The roads network is inspected on an ongoing basis, but we urge people to report any road faults to us directly so that they can be properly assessed and included in an appropriate repair programme. Issues with the roads network can be reported via our website, the My Glasgow phone app, or through the My Glasgow social media channels. The Potholes Makes Glasgow demonstration will take place on Saturday, February the 24th at 10am in George Square. An exclusive article written by Nicole Mitchell. That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Tune Review and to tell your friends about our service. 